0: Well, let's stand to your feet as we get ready to read the word of the Lord today. We'll be reading from Matthew 7, 7 through 12. We've been been going through the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time here, and we're nearing the end of it. This section is actually the last part of the body of the sermon. So what we'll be doing in the next few weeks will be the conclusion of the sermon, but... This is the last part of the body of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read the word of the Lord together. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Today, I'm going to speak to you on the subject, bold love, life empowered by experiencing God. Bold love, life empowered by experiencing God. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you will use these coming minutes, this time... Uh, that we have set aside to read your word and to hear your word, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will dig out our ears, you will soften hearts, you will do whatever you need to do in each one of us, Lord God, you will minimize distractions and help us, Lord God, to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Desperately, we need to hear from you. So, God, speak to us today. Glorify the name of Jesus in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to talk about bold love, a life empowered by experiencing God. God calls Christians to be a different kind of person. We are not just to be people who are pretty much like everyone else except we go to church on Sundays. Maybe we go to church at some other time and we might read our Bible every once in a while and say a prayer before we eat dinner. God wants us to be a different sort of person. And that has been my heart's cry in my personal life over the last few weeks. Lord, make me a different kind of person. A person that you cannot help but know he's been with Jesus. That, that, that the power of Jesus Christ is, is alive in his life, not, not to show off anything or to be anything, but to point people to the one true and living God, Jesus, who is the Christ. And My prayer is not for me only, but for everyone under the sound of my voice, for every person who's a part of this church, whether you're... 85 years old, 86 years old, or 16 years old, or 6 years old, or somewhere in between, I pray that we will be a people marked by an experience of God. And that will make us bold people. I I received a letter this week from a missionary uh, who is in northern Africa working among Muslims. And she shared a number of things in... Uh, her, her email, but she works with Muslims who, some of them are coming to Christ and facing incredible persecution because of making that bold decision. And she shared these things in the newsletter. She said, number one, Barry, who's 21 years old, I don't know if these are the real names, but Barry, 21, continues to live in hiding as his family seeks to find him and force him back to Islam. Or worse. Says recently he came close to giving up. And returning to Islam. And his family. And then she says. Secondly a man named Joseph. A refugee from a neighboring country. Was beaten senseless. A few months ago. By family. Due to his faith. Leaving him she says with PTSD. And then a third situation. Bruce was reading God's word. A family member walked in and asked, what are you reading? He courageously admitted the Bible. Have you become a Christian? Said the family member. He said, yes. His family was furious. They burned all of his possessions, his clothes, his shoes, his mattress, everything that he owned. They kicked him out and told him not to come back. She says, so sad, and yet, What joy that he didn't deny Christ. And then he has a quote from him, even if they kill me, I will die a Christian, Bruce told the team leader. Listen, people are living in this world who don't have a choice, but if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be bold. You've got to be strong. But I fear that it's way too easy for us to wear the label of Christian to maybe put a cross around our neck and to come to church on a Sunday and say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. But boldness does not describe our lives. God is calling us to be bold for him. I want to look at three things today as we look at bold love. And, And that is this number one, bold love persists in asking for what is right that means we will be praying bold prayers does anyone pray bold prayers come on let's pray bold prayers y'all we've got to start praying bold prayers number two not only does it persist in asking for what is right but it trusts in the character of god that is bold believing we'll look at what that means Bold, believing, trusting in the character of God as he's revealed himself to us in his word. And number three, bold love loves others with God's love. You've experienced the overwhelming love of a heavenly father. And therefore, having that experience, you can't help but love others with that same love. Amen. It's quiet in here today, but that's all right. That's all right. I'm believing that the Lord does have a word. You see that? PTL. Praise the Lord, y'all. You see that? How that worked out? I don't know how that worked out. I kind of do know how that worked out, but praise the Lord. We need to be people who are giving him our whole life in praise. So let's go into the text here. Let's look at what the word of God has to say. The first point is this. Bold love persists in asking God for what is right. And we see that in verses seven and eight and verse seven starts ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you and he says in verse eight for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds the one who the one who knocks the door will be opened and maybe you don't feel like that's your experience but one of the things we've got to figure out is what is the word of god saying here exactly and the new living translation i think really gets it right when it says keep on asking and you will receive keep on seeking and you will find keep on knocking and the door will be open in the greek uh in the greek as it was written where it says Ask, it means ask and keep on asking. It's not a simple ask one time, God, why didn't you do it? You're not doing what your word says. It is persistence in our asking of God. It is persistence in asking the Lord for what we believe is his will. We've got to be persistent people. So let's look at this. What does it mean to ask? Number one, it is persistently making your request to God. Y'all, we give up way too easy. Let's not give up on it. Number two, to seek is a willingness to work through every barrier. Life is hard. It is difficult. We can go through seasons of discouragement. But when we are seeking God, that is, we are find, We are determined that we will find him. I'm going to go through that barrier of discouragement. I'm going to go through that barrier, uh, whatever the barrier may be. I am going to knock anything and and everything out of the way in order to seek him. To seek him. And thirdly, it is to knock. You can't knock on a door if you're 10 feet away from it. Or if you're 100 feet away from it, you got to get right up to the door. Amen? you got to get up on that door and so when we talk about knocking we're talking about proximity proximity you are right there you're drawing close and then there is this idea of desperate intention when you're knocking and knocking and knocking and you're asking oh god will you answer god hear my prayer in luke chapter 18 jesus gives a parable of a persistent widow and as he talks about Luke 18 its verses 1 through 9 we're not going to not going to read it all but i may look at a couple verses there but in that parable this this woman has not gotten justice and she's going to this judge who is an unjust judge he doesn't care about god he doesn't care about man he doesn't care about anything but the word of God tells us that she continues to go to this judge over and over and over again. And ultimately, she breaks him down to where he says that even though I don't fear God, even though I don't fear men, I'm going to give her justice. He says in verse five of the text, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. He's like, he's scared of this girl. Like she is out her mind. She's texting me at two o'clock in the morning. She's on my instant messenger. She's calling me. She's sending friends over to me. I can't take it anymore. Okay, I'll give you justice. Jesus tells This parable, not to say that God is an unjust judge, but to say, how persistent are you in seeking the things of God? He says later in those verses in chapter in verse seven and eight, he says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Won't he? We say sometimes, won't he do it? (laughs) Won't he do it? Yes, he will. Won't God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night. Now look at what the text says. Won't he bring about justice for those who cry out day and night? Can you truly say that you are one of those? That's a question I'm asking myself as we live in a city and in a country that is, quote, unquote, a Christian country. And yet surveys have been done. Pastor Tim talked about this last week at uh, Pastor John Jeline's installation service at Emmanuel Chapel. But surveys have been done, both secular and religious uh, polling organizations have done surveys where they have about five different tenets of what it means to be a born-again Christian. You believe that the Bible is the Word of God. You believe in Jesus Christ as the only way. You pray regularly. You attend church. You're reading your Bible regularly. They're looking at these tenets, basic things not deep things basic things and they did these surveys and all four organizations whether secular or whether religious found that somewhere between 7 and 9% of people in our country fit the bill that means 93 to 90 help me with my math 91% are not walking with Jesus and the reality is we can check those boxes and not be those who are crying out to God day and night. Listen, people are dying all around us and they need the Lord. My wife heard today of a colleague at work whose 26 year-old brother, healthy young man, is gone. As of Friday Friday of this week, he died. Suddenly, 26 years old, we live in desperate times. And we need to be persistent people calling New Life Church to be a church that knows something about persistent prayer. That knows something about the kind of prayer that doesn't just pray a nice, sweet, help me, Lord, I don't mean no harm when I say this, a nice, sweet Presbyterian prayer. I don't mean any harm when I say that. But we need to pray boldly. The the Lord says to us, come boldly before the throne of grace and find grace and mercy in your time of need. We come boldly to God. We come boldly to him. We need to reshape a culture of prayer in this place, and we need to do it in our personal lives as well. But we are determined to move forward in creating that Culture of persistent prayer in this place, and my prayer is that it will catch on to each one of you as well. There is an instance in 2nd Kings chapter 13, it is the very last words of the prophet Elisha, the prophet who followed Elijah, and he is with the king Jehoash, the king of Israel, and the king comes because. Elisha is dying. He's sick and he's dying and the king comes and mourns over him. But then the prophet does a very prophety type thing. It's like, prophet, what are you doing? They do different kinds of things, y'all. And so he, he tells him to take an arrow and shoot the arrow. And then he tells the king to get the arrows and he says, strike the ground with the arrows. They are in an ongoing war with Aram, the Arameans. And he says, I want you to take those arrows and strike the ground with the arrows. Elijah's almost dead. He's on his deathbed. And the king, Jehoash, takes the arrows and hits the ground three times and stops. And what we hear and what we see in that scripture in 2 Kings chapter 13 is Elisha gets angry with him. He says, you stop." After three times, that means God's going to give you a little victory. He says you should have hit the ground five or six times. Basically, you should have hit the ground till I told you to stop hitting the ground. What's he talking about? There is a weakness in your spirit. There is an inability to just get mad enough, to get mad enough at what the devil is doing, to get mad enough at how the enemies of God's people are coming in and plundering God's people. And all you do is hit the ground three times. And I think that for many of us, God has taken, or, or the devil seems like he's taken our sons and our daughters. He's taken our neighbors. He's taken our city. People are dying in this city every day of opioid addiction and overdoses. People are dying, being shot and killed. And this is happening all around us. And we are hitting the ground three times. God wants to say to us, How important is this to you really? Here's my question. Are you desperate enough? Are you desperate enough to make a significant change in the way that you pray? A significant change. Look at your life. Look at your day. Look at your week. You've got all kinds of things blocked out on your calendar. You've got your calendar blocked out for work and for different tasks that you do. And we're all busy. We've all got a lot of things to do. But if we would be honest, we've got other things on that calendar that could easily be moved away. This show or that show or this game or that game. There are things that we can move away. We can wake up a little earlier. We can go to bed a little later. We can do something to say God is First, God is most important, and what's going on in this world, in my life, in my family, I'm not going to have it anymore, Lord. I'm going to pray and pray and pray and see that you do what only you can do. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's only God that can do it. We're not we should not fool ourselves at New Life Church to think that we're going to have some program, some preacher or some music and something that we're going to put together. That's going to do some great work in Philadelphia. We're not. I ain't it, y'all. Jesus is it. The Holy Spirit is it. God, the father is it. And we need to pray and live as if. If he doesn't do it, it ain't going to get done. I'm sorry about my English. But if he doesn't do it, it won't get done. And so we need to beseech the Lord of the harvest to do what only he can do. Secondly, bold love trusts in the character of God. This is bold believing. Jesus knows how to tell. A funny story. Look what he says here in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Now we're just looking at that like, okay, yeah, I've read that before. Now think about what he's saying. You, you're You're in the shop right with your Three year old, your four year old, and your five year old, and you're walking through the shop right, and all of a sudden they see goldfish. You know what I'm talking about. They should be illegal, by the way. Goldfish are just, for some reason, they're just way too good, right? Those little snack crackers that look like fish, and they're looking at the goldfish, they're saying, Mommy, 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 or Daddy, 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 I want fish, I want fish, give me the fish, give me the fish. They're all over it, and they're just you and you say okay you want some fish let me get something for you go behind something you throw a snake at him that's a little crazy y'all i don't know that's that's just that's coming out of your your crazy place you just happen to carry a snake around to say you want a fish here you go take a snake that's a little crazy y'all jesus tells this crazy story but what does he say at the end of it if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, your father in heaven. Jesus revolutionizes prayer. He revolutionizes the idea of who God is when he is consistently using this term over and over again, father. It gets him in trouble. Because he claims to be the only begotten son of God. He claims to be, as a matter of fact, God in the flesh. But he talks about this relationship. But he not only says he's my father, but he says he's your father. You see, what we need to see here is this idea that God is now in relationship with us. God is not just some far off concept, some theological construct, something that's written in a book. But he is a person and he desires intimate relationship with you. We see Father God over and over and over again. And one of the great analogies of Scripture in the New New Testament as well is he is the bridegroom and we are his bride. There is no more intimate relationship in the world than the bridegroom and the bride. And God calls us his bride. We're the bride of Christ. We need this intimate relationship with our God. Now, many of you know, have a couple quotes here from, I think they're quotes or semi quotes from Jack Miller. But one of the famous things he said was, cheer up. You're a whole lot worse than you think you are. Some of y'all know this, but in Jesus, you're far more loved than you could ever imagine. Right. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We understand that theology. Here's what I fear. We got the theo- I know not just the Jack Miller theology, but I understand the book of Romans, and I understand the book of Galatians, and I understand how God has come to us and that my sin is worse than I ever thought it could be, but God's love is greater than I ever thought it was. And so I've got my theology straight. I feel so good about it. My theology is in line. But here's another, I said Jack Miller-ish, because I'm not positive if this was a quote, but I came across it. He says, are you just learning the lyrics? That's theology, that's getting your doctrine right, that's understanding things in a certain way. But are you just learning the lyrics of theology and doctrine, or are you hearing the music of God? God calls us into an intimate personal experience of him a direct experience of the living god and he wants to breathe on your life he wants to breathe on this church he wants to breathe on my wife and i in our times of prayer and god wants to come near you so that nothing can convince you that god is against you we can read it in romans we can memorize it we ought to But there is an experience of God that puts you way past syllogisms and logic and understanding that gets you to a place where you know that you know that you know God is for me. And all the devils in hell can't make me think otherwise. That comes from experiencing God. So I want to tell you about two men who had this kind of experience. One of them you'll probably know D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist. God used him mightily in the 19th century. He started Moody Bible Institute. He preached to thousands of thousands of people in England, in Scotland, and in the U.S. And God used him in mighty ways. But up to a certain point in his own walk with God and in his ministry, the biographers say he was a pretty pedestrian preacher he was just a run-of-the-mill okay he yep what he said is right it's good but something happened to D.L. Moody and this is the way Moody described it himself he said I began to cry as never before for a greater blessing from God the hunger increased I really felt that I did not want to live any longer he's saying That I am hungering and thirsting for God so much that apart from him, life doesn't really have any meaning. Our problem is that we're looking for life apart from him to find our meaning. But he says, I am hungering and thirsting. Listen, those were Jesus' words at the beginning of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And here is Moody, hungering and thirsting so much that he, doesn't, that he sees life not worth it anymore apart from God. But then he says, but one day in New York City. Oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I can only say God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. In other words, God, you're overwhelming me with this thing. I can't take any more. Oh, God, to be in the place where we would have to say to God, it's too much, Lord, I can't take anymore. I wonder if any of us have had that kind of experience where we say, stop it, Lord, I see you too much. It's too much for me. Yet this was the experience of Moody as he sought after God. Listen, Moody was a saved man. He was a godly man. He was a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet there was still something missing for him cried out. God blessed him in this way. Now, the other person I want you to see is a man named Dr. Thomas Goodwin. Goodwin was a professor at Oxford and at Cambridge in the 17th century. He was a Puritan. He was actually one of those who helped form the Westminster Confession of Faith as well. That great document that many of us know of. Thomas Goodwin. And yet, He says these words. He says, There is a light that comes and overpowers a man's soul and assures him that God is his and he is God's. And that God loves him from everlasting. He says, It is a light beyond the light of ordinary faith. He says, There's an experience that I entered into in the Lord. And I wish that all of God's people would know that experience. Listen, y'all, we're living in what the Bible calls the last days. Now, I'm not going to start giving you prophecies of when Jesus is coming because I don't have a clue. But biblically, the last days refers to the times between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So in the, on the day of Pentecost... They were living in the last days. That was 2,000 years ago, but today we're still living in the last days. And when the Holy Spirit comes out on the church, the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, Peter begins to, they, they begin to speak in tongues. All these things happen and God is moving and and the Lord is at work. And then Peter stands up and begins to preach You remember Peter, who was denying Jesus just a little bit before, who ran out on the cross and all of that, who was afraid to be there. Now he stands up before a multitude of people and he says, this is that which the prophet Joel talked about. This is the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. And God said, he promised through the prophet that he will pour out his spirit on who? On special People who have a particular relationship and title in the church. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said, sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will have dreams. He he talks about the pouring out of his Holy Spirit On the church of God. And listen, if 2,000 years ago was the last days, so is today. Somebody ought to say amen. We need to know God. In the power of his resurrection. And in the fellowship of his suffering. But here's the thing. When you experience God, when you know God. And you're in the midst of that time when you are experiencing the the, the fellowship of his suffering. It's enough to know because you know he is with me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. God cannot and will not leave us as orphans. And you know it. You know that you know that you know it. I'm going to get personal here for a minute. I'm not going to talk about. DL Moody or Thomas Goodwin anymore, but just in my own personal life and in with my wife and I, God has pressed us to a different sort and kind of prayer life at this point. And for years I've been saying, I know we pray consistently in the morning. I pray through the day at different times, but to have a time in the evening where we're not just praying nice prayers, but we are petitioning the Lord of glory and asking God to come down and meet us. And God is beginning to do that more and more in our lives. And I am thankful for it. But my prayer is that I won't be alone in it at New Life Church. That it will mark us as people of God who are diligently seeking the face of God. Because we have this relationship with the good, good Father that is who you are. We know him in that way. We know him in that way. Now let me just say this. Because whenever we deal with this subject of of fervent prayer, many people have felt disappointed and have have given up. Because you've been praying for days. You've been praying for weeks. You've been praying for months. Maybe you've been praying for years. Maybe you've been praying for decades. I don't know how long, but it just doesn't seem that this thing is going to move. Has anyone ever experienced that? You're frustrated. You've been praying. You know you're praying, but you're frustrated. You're hurt. You're wondering, God, are my prayers bouncing off the ceiling and back down into my face again? What's going on? But we've got to be a people who are determined by pressing into God to know him in such a way. We know he's a good father. I may not understand all of his ways, but I know that God is at work. In the book of Habakkuk chapter 3, this is one of my favorite little books in the Bible. And in the book of Habakkuk, the prophet is crying out to God because the nation of God's people is about to be destroyed by an unholy, ungodly Uh, army from Babylon and he's like how long oh Lord are you going to let this happen and God comes to the prophet and he never says it's not going to happen if you pray hard enough it won't happen but he says but I am at work and something is coming I have a vision you need to write it down you need to know that I am coming at just the right time yes this calamity is coming as well but I'm coming after the calamity So even though he doesn't promise him a way out of the hardship, but a way through the hardship at the end of that book in chapter three, starting at verse 17, he says, though the fig tree does not blossom, though there's no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, he says, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The final verse, he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. God is calling us to be a people who don't pray our way around trouble, but right through it, knowing that God is for us. And he will do it. Folks, we got to live in the reality of what, what, what theologians call the already not yet. Jesus Christ has finished the work. The victory is secure. He has won it. It is over. But just like the children of Israel taking the land of Canaan, God said, there's giants in the land. I got this. I'm t- the land is yours. It's flowing with milk and honey. It belongs to you. But he says, now I want you to go in. And you've got to bring some weapons. You've got to fight. But I will be the one fighting for you. Brothers and sisters, we are not fighting for victory in the Lord. We are fighting from Victory in the Lord. And we are fighting from the reality that he has disarmed all the rulers, all the authorities, all the powers of this dark world. We fight from that reality to see the Lord Christ glorified. I want to see him glorified in my family. Mad glorified, not a little glorified. I want to see him glorified in New Life Church. I want to see him glorified in Alni. I want to see him glorified in Philadelphia. I want to see it spread like wildfire throughout this country and around this world. And to see the glory of the Lord cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. Our God is great. One last thing. Briefly. Bold love also loves others with God's love. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. He says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the end of the main section of the Sermon on the Mount. It started, the there was uh, an introduction to the sermon, but the sermon really starts, the body of the sermon, in Chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. How are they fulfilled? The verse we just looked at, verse 12, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are summed up as God creates for himself, through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, a people that knows how to love. A people that are empowered to love. A people who don't shrink back from difficult situations, from difficult uh, uh, circumstances, from difficult people, but a people who have been prepared by God himself, and he's poured out his spirit on them, and they love with a tenacious and powerful love that nothing in this world can stop. That's simply the golden rule, but the golden rule doesn't work without the Holy Ghost, amen? (laughs) Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're going to get out of your right mind and into that other mind that you know about already. And we all have our ways, of not loving people well. But when we have this experience of God, when we persist in prayer before God, God empowers us to love people boldly. This is God's call. So, brothers and sisters, and I ask you today: will you commit to live your life with radical boldness for Jesus Christ? God's calling us beyond where we already are. He's calling me. He's calling you to a greater place. He's asking you to love him boldly by persisting in prayer and not giving up. He's calling you to love him boldly by trusting in the character of God so that you not only know a whole bunch of facts and stuff about God, but you experience him for yourself. This is the greatest need that we have in this hour, that we know the touch of our God in our own experience. And thirdly, he's calling you to love with boldness in that you take that experience of God And you love others boldly, treating them as you want to be treated yourself. Listen, we can complain as Christians as much as we want about the state of this world. It is a mess. The world that we live in, the day that we live in, it is a hot mess. Somebody can say amen to that too. We can complain about it, we can grumble about it, but that's not going to do anything about it. God hasn't called us to complain and grumble and pin it on this party or that party or politics or even on drugs and on other things. We, we can do all of these things and pour out all our complaints. God is calling us to be a people who press into him, who know him. And listen, when there is a people of God that knows what it is to have what the Bible calls in 1 Peter 1, 8, joy unspeakable and full of glory when we are a people who mirror that reality by the way that we live our lives because we've been touched by the living God and I know that joy that can only come from him people will want to know where in the world did that come from and that is our opportunity to share the love of Christ with a watching and waiting so, brothers and sisters, pray with me as we close today. hope you can hear and see the burden that I have for this church, the burden that I have for each of you, the burden that I have for this community. It's not my burden. It's God's burden. Jesus died. Jesus died. Not just to give life to a sprinkling couple of people here or there. Jesus wants to save a lot of folks. Jesus wants to set a lot of people free. From addictions and bondages. To all sorts of things. Jesus even wants to take some nice, good Christian people who are really no threat at all to the devil and his kingdom. But you're nice, good Christian people. God wants to turn you into warriors for him. God wants to make you a person That when the devil and all his demons see you coming, they shake and they shudder. Not because of who you are, where you came from, but because they know you've been in the presence of God. And Jesus is not only on your lips, but he's in your heart. And he's animating your life. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much. That there is a hope. There is a hope. There is a sure hope that's in you, Lord God. And Lord, you call us to be a people of faith. And yet I can look in my own life, how many times I've made that sound like something that is easy and nice, but your word says faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, or the evidence of things not seen. In other words... To have faith means we don't see the blessing with our natural eyes, but we believe it in spite of anything and everything that's out there. We believe it because we know you, and we know what you will do. We know that what you can do, and we know that you are a good, good father. So much better than any one of us. So, Lord, help us to be a people that trusts in you. Help us to be a people that presses into you. Help us to be a people that is marked by the joy of the Lord and who boldly love those around us with a love that comes from you. Do your work and glorify your name in all these things I pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said,